Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, and I am so glad that you're here with us today. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. More than 65 million Americans right now serve as a family caregiver. If you're one of them, then you're in the right place. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers, and what does that look like for us? What is the path to healthiness? Do you feel healthy? Are you making healthy financial decisions, emotional decisions, physical decisions, spiritual decisions, professional decisions? If not, why not start today? How about that? We can always make a healthier decision starting right now. We don't need some kind of book, program, or anything else. We just decide we're going to do something healthy. Maybe that healthiness is saying no to something. Maybe that healthiness is saying yes to something. So that's what this program is. We explore that, and we've got a lot on tap for you today. I want to take a moment to talk about something that a friend of mine mentioned, and I think it is worth having a bit of a conversation over. I I recently had a conversation with someone who is no longer a caregiver, Um and because the person that, that her family was taking care of has passed away. And it's left a pretty big hole in their heart, as you can imagine. What do you do post-caregiving? I get that question a lot. I don't really know from firsthand experience what that looks like because I haven't done it. Even though I've been a caregiver now for four decades almost, I, I, I'm still a caregiver. And I have talked to several folks who've done this and their loved one passed away. And sometimes it was abruptly, you know, they've been going along and things were kind of planing out and then boom, the bottom fell out. Sometimes it just drug on. It seemed like interminably. And and so there are all kinds of different scenarios. For the most part, a lot of them were left wondering, what do I do now? particularly the ones that threw themselves into this with reckless abandon. And, okay, what do I do now? And I've actually talked to those who went from running at 90 miles an hour with their hair on fire to coming to a complete stop, and it was jarring for them. The silence was overpowering for them, and they didn't know quite how to respond. And we talked about some things and kind of unpacked that a little bit of what are some strategies they can incorporate. And I pointed to some places I thought would be very helpful to them. But I'd like to just address this as a, address this as a whole right now. To start off with saying, for those of you who are in that place and you're doing kind of a, um, an evaluation of how you did as a caregiver, let me first offer this. You served as a caregiver. You did it without training, without pay, without really a lot of insight and understanding. A friend of mine that I just talked to about this the other day said, you know, we didn't know. We didn't didn't know the right things. We should have, you know, we know now. And and they they go back and second-guess themselves in the past. There's no need for that. You did the best you could with the information and the resources that you had, and you made mistakes about it. I mean, there's no, there's no, 
There's no way to undo that. You've made mistakes. Everybody does. And some of the mistakes that you made may have been substantial and with great consequence. (laughs) Been there, done that. But the point is you served. You did it. You showed up. Your attendance record was flawless. So can you take a moment to just kind of rest in that for just just a bit? To say, you know what? I did it. There are things that I could have done better. There are things that I wish I had done better. But I showed up and I did it. That's extraordinary. And I hope you see it as such. And it's okay for you to be at peace knowing that you've done it, you did the best you could, and now it's time to look to other things for your life if you've been putting your life on hold. My hope is is that by listening to this show for a while, you've seen a theme that I have is that we don't wait until our loved one gets better or worse before we start living a life, that we can live a life today. And that's one of the things I'm going to talk about today with my special guest that who has carved out a life in the midst of some pretty dire circumstances. But the, the, the goal for me and for, for my fellow caregivers is that we start on a path towards healthiness right now. As I said earlier, today is a great day to do something healthy. There's no need to wait. And it doesn't have to be a massive change. It can be just incremental steps. But by doing so, we're setting a path for us post-caregiving. Now, some of us may not make it to that place. Our loved one may pass away before we do. I remember one of the earlier gentlemen I knew that was taking care of somebody with Alzheimer's. This was back when I was in my 20s. And I met this man, and he was his wife had early onset, and one of the things he was terrified of is that his wife would outlive him. But sadly, she did. For him, I mean, you know, he did want her to have to live without him, but it, it just it, that's the way it worked out. And he died when he was in his 60s, and she still was as well. And so we don't have that guarantee at all. We have today. And so we can live our life today in a way that is a good steward of that life today. But I felt like under the you know, urging of my friend to say, to you all who are post caregivers now, and you're looking back at it, and you you kind of beat yourself up with it, or you're you're kind of stuck in some places. Take a moment to just celebrate the extraordinary thing that you did. What would you say to somebody who did exactly what you did? You'd probably say you did the best you could with it. Take a deep breath, and let's see now what God has for you today. And and I. I would be remiss if I didn't also ask for pastors to keep in mind something. When you do the funeral of somebody with who has been cared for, maybe somebody in your congregation who had been through a long illness or disability, it's important to recognize all that that individual did in their life and, and what they stood for. But take a moment from the pulpit to recognize those caregivers, that caregiver, maybe it's just one, who stood through thick and thin with that individual who bore tremendous weight upon their shoulders. Recognize them. 
from the pulpit. Let people in attendance at that service know that you see that individual and let everyone else see them for the extraordinary individual that they are, for what they've done. These are ways to help transition somebody from this awesome responsibility of caring for a chronically impaired loved one to being at peace with their journey and moving on to the next thing that God has for them. And it could be heartbreaking circumstances that led to that service speak with clarity into the lives of those entrusted to your care as a pastor who are dealing with this loss and now have to pick up the peace. Don't just say, you know, so-and-so's in a better place, whatever. Look at them and say, good job. And I say to you, my fellow caregivers, good job. You're doing it. And for those of you who have ended that particular part of your life and you're not doing that anymore and you feel that emptiness, I would still say to you, good job. And the God of all creation, the great I am, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he sees you. He saw you doing it. He sees you now. And he knows you by name. Hang on to that. Because that is the hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. So glad you're with us. We have a great guest. You're going to love listening to what she has to offer. Don't go away. we got more to go. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. In a world where no one can tell us no. To this day, every human being born on this planet is the product of a male and a female. That's the way God set it up. God created us in His image. A place where Facebook and YouTube have no control. I think the command in Scripture relative to men and women is not mainly women sit down, but men stand up, act like men, lead as you're supposed to. A place where we can no longer be canceled. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks. And if you understand that rightly, then everything else simply falls into place. The American Family Association presents the AFA streaming platform. Just visit streaming.afa.net for the latest films, documentaries, and AFA original productions. You'll even find videos from some of your favorite talk shows. All you have to do is create a free account at streaming.afa.net. It gives an impetus to share your faith when you think you've got answers to objections that you expect people to bring up. The American Family Studios video series, Intro to God's Revelation, featuring Dr. Richard Howe, shows how God has revealed Himself in nature and His Word, and how we can rightly understand what God has said. These truths are just a part and parcel of the Christian life. It isn't just for the professional clergy. Learn the fundamentals of how to approach and understand the Bible in an age of skepticism. This six-week video curriculum is perfect for your Sunday school class or study group, and it can prepare you to give a defense of God's Word and how He speaks to us in nature. Knowing whether and how God communicates is a safeguard against false claims about God communicating. Intro to God's Revelation, DVDs and workbook are available for purchase at afastore.net or call 877-927-4917.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, and I love that voice. That is my wife, Gracie. And uh, he does know the plans that he has for you, and sometimes those plans are not exactly what we think they are, and that's why I'm so glad to have this guest on today. Divine Detours is is a phrase that, she, that has captured her heart. And uh, you ever feel like you have divine detours? Well, I've, I feel like I've been off-road detouring for, for many years. But Kathy Harris is with us, and she's a, a, a very accomplished author, been in the music business for a lifetime in Nashville, and, and she has amazing insight. She's been a great friend and mentor to me through a lot of my writing process. So I thought I'd have, and by the way, she's one of us. She's one of us. She is a caregiver as well, and she understands the journey, but she continues on with the work. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about writing and the importance for us, and I thought, well, why not bring a you know, really established writer, somebody who really knows this business and this industry and the work of it, and give us some insights and pointers as well. So, Kathy, thank you for being here with me today. I'm so glad to be here, Peter. All right. Give us a little bit of background on you. One of the things I, I love about you is at seven years old, you knew you wanted to be a writer. Seven years I old. Sure at seven years I old, did. I was out playing. I was out playing <laughs> army in the woods. <laughs> I, well, I was. I was. I was actually thinking I was Annie Oakley at seven years old. But um, I also would write in my diary that I was going to write books one day, and um, that's kind of what I set out to do. I kept that dream and through all of my elementary and high school, went to college. We didn't have creative writing offered at my college, and so I decided to major in journalism and advertising with an English minor, and um, I was all ready. And then God decided to give me a detour. I saw a tour bus for country music artists or gospel artists going down the street of my campus, uh, near my campus, and I thought, and it had Nashville on the marquee. And I thought, I want to go to Nashville and be in the music business. And so after spending some uh, additional time at home in Southern Illinois, after I graduated about oh, six months to nine months, I got a job offer from the Oak Ridge Boys. And they were, they were a gospel quartet at that point. And I absolutely loved Southern gospel music. And when I got the call from the Oak Ridge Boys to work for them um, on a let's-see-if-it-works basis, I was excited to move to Nashville. And 40-some years later, I'm still working for them in Nashville and in country music with a gospel on the side. So um, that was my detour. That was before you, you came on just as uh, Elvira was getting ready to come out, correct? Well, <laughs> you're going to make me tell my age, Peter. I was. No, I'm not. There. No, no. You you started when you were seven. Remember? <laughs> I, I did actually. I started when I was twenty. <laughs> so so I, well, I we, we don't have to know these things. Yeah, no, but, but I did uh, start very but, early. They were gospel. They were gospel at the time. But then Elvira came out, and then it just—I mean—they just exploded, and you were right there with all of that. Correct? Did I get my time frames right? Is that right? I was there to see that change. I was there before that the country music crossover happened. And it was 
an interesting ride. It has been an amazing career to watch what's happened with them. And also to realize that they were four guys that sang gospel music that were able to break into country and pop with Elvira and to take the gospel to a lot of audiences that they would never have reached if they had stayed with gospel. Well, they have. And certainly, um, I think one of the more poignant, and I've had a couple of the, the guys here on this program, but one of the more poignant uh, moments was when they sang at the funeral of George H.W. Bush, and they were scrambling to get there because I uh, Joe told the story, and it's they were scrambling to get there, but it was to listen to them sing Amazing Grace there, and that's something that the former president wanted to hear. And then subsequently the world got to hear them. So that was great. And, and you've been a part of all of that. You're you're in the fabric of of their lengthy career and, and for the last 40-something years. And yet you've also been writing and doing all the stuff you do in the music business, but then you have not left your passion of writing. And you have now, your your newest book has come out. It's a, I think it's a se- uh, series of books. And this is called Deadly Conclusion. These are all novels that you've written. And talk a little bit about that process with you. Okay. Um, I'll just say that my detour basically came when I turned 50 years old. And I had wanted to write books since I was seven. And um, I realized that if I didn't write books that honored God, that I wouldn't be happy. And it's amazing because when I started writing that kind of novel, all of a sudden my writing flowed. It was just a, it was just a change for me. So basically God said, okay, you're going to use all of these years I've given you in country and gospel music. And I'm going to, and I'm going to give you something to talk about. And so my books aren't necessarily music heavy, but they're based in Nashville. And I started writing women's fiction and my agent and my editor said, no, you need to be writing romantic suspense. So my series is a romantic suspense series of three books, heavy on the suspense, light on the romance, and it the it just finished up. <laughs> well, I'm Can not going to say whether not that descri- <laughs> you know, hell, I could, I could, I'm not going to say where that uh, defines a lot of caregivers' life. Heavy on the suspense, light on the romance. <laughs> It really but does. Yes, the, it does. The story of America's family caregivers, heavy on the suspense, <laughs> light on the romance. Yeah, it's a <laughs> so, Christian yes, novel. I, <laughs> so, well, um, and, I, and I love that. But the fact is you kept doing it. And this is what I was talking about two weeks ago with this audience, that we, we, we get distracted by a lot of things, but our core loves, the things that we really love— you know, God doesn't waste all these things. I, a friend of mine told me once, he said, Jesus was a carpenter. He doesn't even waste the sawdust, you know? And I really subscribe to that. For me and, and all the things that God has obviously woven in your life, that you've taken this great tapestry, and now you're you're doing it. And it's, it's just very exciting to watch you do it. Peter, when my husband died, I was in the middle of caregiving my mom and dad. And it there was a, there was a break of time when I just couldn't write because it was, let's see what we can do to reorganize life. My parents were living with us when he passed, but eventually you get, you work yourself back up there. And, um, you know, you just realize that as a caregiver, if you're going to be a good one, and I've learned this from you, I've learned this from my own experience, you have to have a little bit of life for yourself. And so 
my books was what I chose. I wanted to write those books. So all three of the books in this series have been written since I was a caregiver um, by myself with my parents. And um, it has really helped me and they have, they supported me as well. So um, yeah, it, it, you, it, it's just a way to fit in a little bit of life for you and still be the best caregiver you can. So I finished three books as a caregiver. You know, I, as a caregiver who's written books while caregiving, I understand how challenging that is. And you, um, I would call you sometimes and you'd be just like in the craziness of editing and going through it and all this stuff. And I said, well, do you need some help? And you said, no, I just have to just plow through it myself. And you would just carve out an hour here, two hours here, that kind of thing. And it was, uh, but it was really inspiring to, to watch you go through, particularly this last book, because you've had a lot of things going on in your life and yet you soldiered through it. And that's one of the things I wanted this audience to hear is that you can carve these things out in the midst of whatever you're dealing with. Here are two people now, Kathy and me both have done that. Kathy and I both have done this. And, and I want to hopefully, you know, and in, in hopefully inspire people to not give up on this, that it's so important that you do carve out that identity for yourself. She set out to be a writer at seven. It, yes, she had some circuitous routes to get there and some divine detours and along the way worked with a major uh, music business group and, and everything else, but she's still doing it. And I, my challenge, and, and while serving, serving as a caregiver, my challenge is to each of us is, can we learn from that? Can we model that in our life? And I believe that we can. Kathy, I want to um, also pick your brain on some things that a lot of people may get frustrated when they come to the blank page and they don't really quite know where to start. So when we come back from this segment, what I'd like for you to do is just give some tips on, you know, where to start, uh, you know, how to, what, what, what do you look for? How do you develop an outline? All those kinds of things. I don't write fiction. And so you're in a much different world than I am. And I'm not, you know, I, I have no expertise in this sort of thing. But you do, and I and I know that a lot of people would like to hear that. So when we come back, will you will you hang around and talk about that a little bit? That's the hardest subject, and yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We've got more to go. Don't go away. We'll be right back. If you'll indulge me for just a moment, I have a special need that I would love your help on. We are treating our first ever patient in Cameroon. We've been working mostly in the country of Ghana. We have treated patients from Togo and uh, as far away as Nigeria who come to the clinic in Ghana. And we did one patient in Kenya, but this is our first patient in Cameroon. We're working with a facility there and we could use your help in sponsoring this man's leg. His name is Cyril. He's an above knee amputee and the man who is building it at a prosthetic clinic in Cameroon, his name is Jude. And I, I read to him the scripture in Jude where it says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. I said, you, you understand the origination of your name. It was a guy named Jude who wrote that wonderful passage in scripture. What a great name for a prosthetist. 
And Gracie and I are asking for your help in sponsoring this leg. If you want to be a part of this, standingwithhope.com slash giving. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. I don't normally do these kinds of things, but I would very much appreciate your help in getting this leg for Cyril. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. And we'll give you more information on that as he starts walking and leaping and praising God. She's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Pastor Erwin Lutzer from the American Family Studios documentary, The God Who Speaks. When Paul said to Timothy, preach the word, what Paul was saying is everything that you teach in the church has to be rooted in scripture. Now I believe very strongly that it has to be rooted in scripture. It has to be applied to each generation so the applications may change. But the basic doctrines, the teachings, have to be the foundation of everything that we preach. So it's not a matter of human ideas. It is actually a matter of being committed to the integrity of Scripture, studying it in context so that we can say with authority that what we are teaching is based on God's Word, not our ideas, nor our Word. Visit thegodwhospeaks.org. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberg, and we're so glad that you are with us. I'm talking with my friend Kathy Harris, celebrated author, music business executive, and, by the way, a caregiver. And she understands the journey. We left in our last segment. uh, I wanted to drill down and get some thoughts from her as she approaches a blank page. And a lot of us have been there. And I know that I've gotten a lot of comments from this audience that individuals want to write, but don't necessarily know where to start, what to do, how to, you know, even whatever. So Kathy, when you start a book and you've done blogs, you've done books, you've done uh, press releases, you've done, you know, so many different things over your career. Where do you start? Do you have just an idea that hits you in your head? Where do you start? I think the, the, the best way to answer that is to start small. And when I'm talking about that, I'm saying like in the writing career, I started with devotionals 
and uh, or devotions, and um, I got my feet wet with that. I started with my journal, my daily journal, and then when you translate that into, okay, I'm sitting down and there's the blank page, first page for the book, you just tell the story in a draft mode, and you don't worry about the junk that comes out. It's the one law (laughs) in writing is to never worry about that first draft and um and just just go on i have found for me that the best way to write a book and this is almost one of those things where you say don't try this at home (laughs) is to have a really short deadline because i do better on deadlines and to know that i have to get it done quickly and to pray to God that he gives me the words and to sit down with that short deadline and to just start writing. One of the things that I told the audience a couple of weeks ago was to not try to set out the next great American novel, but set out to write something that means something to you that speaks to you, whether anybody publishes it or not. Is that decent advice? I think it's absolutely the best advice. You can't write except what's in your heart. And I, I think that I, I tried to write, I thought I wrote literary fiction. I, when I first sit down to, ru- to write a novel, I thought, okay, I must, I know I write literary style. And I started writing and I looked at my text and I thought, that is as far away from literary as I've ever seen in my life. But then I just realized that was my voice. And you can hone your voice, but your voice should be you talking in many ways. I'm reading someone's novel right now. Actually, it's a memoir. And I can hear this person's voice all over it. And I think that's the beauty of it. You get to hear your voice in your heart. And do not, do not be afraid. I had to learn this one too, to share yourself because that's where your writing will affect people. You have to share yourself. You can't hide yourself in your writing. You know, that ties into the whole message that I have for family caregivers is that your voice is important. You don't need to have someone else's voice. I remember when I first started doing radio, there was a wonderful guy at Nashville at at iHeart right there on Music Row. And he said, leave the crutches at home. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, a lot of people, when they come to do radio, they start thinking they have to talk in a radio voice. Like, hey, we'll be right back, you know, kind of thing. And they they want to put on this affectation. And he said, be you. Just be you. And 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 I I didn't know that I really had a great radio voice or anything. I don't know that I still do. Gracie says I do enunciate better now that I've been doing radio for a long time. So that's good. I don't know what I talked like before. But she says, I do enunciate better. But I I took that to heart and said, okay, I'm going to just be me. I'm going to speak the way I speak. I'm going to speak about things that I love. And the writing extends from there. And I think that what you said is so perfect for us as caregivers because we lose our voice or we don't value our voice. Our voice feels diminished, unheard, you know, unimportant. And I love that, that you're saying write in your voice because that's who you are. And be yourself. There's everybody else is taken, you know, so it's uh, that that's great advice. 
I, I agree, Peter. And I think that what happens when you're writing that way is it becomes cathartic for you. And um, I know my books have been cathartic for me. They have been a journey that is perhaps not evident. It's not like my life. It's not like my books are a memoir, but they're cathartic for me because I work out life's problems in my books. And a lot of authors, authors will tell you that uh, in novelists, they work out their own life's problems and their own decisions. And they, and they, they, um, it's just for them as much as it's for the reader. In fact, maybe more so. Well, now your books, uh, this series, you're done with this series, right? This is the conclusion, the one you just Uh released. Do you have, do you, have you already gone on to the next one or are you just kind of taking a break right now? I mean, I know you're still uh, in the throes of caregiving. Yeah. Uh, caregiving for sure. And I work full time still, although I work from home now, um, which is because of caregiving. Um, but I, I have a series in mind that I'm excited to write. And I'm also before that I'm doing a co-write with, uh, uh, someone who's an ex undercover cop out of New York city. And we're doing a novel together, a crime novel set in Nashville. That is very cool. That is very cool. <laughs> uh, so I know, I know that just absolutely scratches an itch for you because you, you just come alive with this sort of thing. Are you, do you have any plans to do nonfiction? I would love to do nonfiction. I had nonfiction before I was published in fiction. Um, that's how I got my feet wet and how I met people. And and one of the things that I want to say to your listeners too, who want to be writers and they're caregivers and they're sitting at home and they feel isolated. One of the cool things is writers have a community online and you can establish a community that maybe, maybe it's online. You can do it at midnight or two in the morning when you have a break for yourself and you can start developing relationships um, that are so needed when you're a caregiver. That's a, that's a great thought. Do you feel that, um, you know, a lot of people, I think approach writing to think, okay, then I've got to send it to a publisher and I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Those demands are not on us anymore. Do you feel like, I mean, because the industry has changed, are the opportunities greater for writers? Are they, are they so relaxed that maybe you, you there's so much out there or what are your thoughts on this now? I think in many ways it's harder to be traditionally published because there are so many people trying to get the agent, trying to get the editor to, to, to take notice, trying to get the publishing company to want them. But there's always the opportunity for self-publishing. That isn't something I've done so far. I've had a traditional publisher because I really like having partners in what I do. But people don't let it stop them. There are so many so many self-published people that are just killing it out there as writers, you know, so. Don't let that be a deterrent. No, not at all. In fact, the ones that I know that love it, they wouldn't go back to traditional publishing. They absolutely love it that way. I'm just kind of one of those people that likes to have a partner and somebody give me their advice. And that's what a traditional publisher will do. Well, in many respects, it's kind of like the music business. There are a lot of people that think they have to have a record deal not realizing what they give up when they get a record deal. And, you know, one of the people I always admired in Nashville was Alison Krauss, who kind of said, you know, I'm going to do my own thing here. And she took control of her musical destiny, if you will, and set the table for a lot of people to follow that. And, and I think publishing is the same way. We don't, 
you don't have to have a publisher. If you really want a publisher, make sure you understand why and what that publisher can and cannot do for you. Because a lot of people, and I want you to unpack this a little bit, they think, okay, if I get a, a publisher, they sign my book, and then they're going to make me a successful author. It doesn't work that, that way, does it? It, it doesn't work that way anymore, and I, I work only in the Christian field, um, but I am sure it's general markets the same. Uh, an author is responsible for marketing their own products. So basically, you write the book, and um, you market the book. So you, it, it, there's just... There's just uh, there's just not time for them to to do a whole lot for marketing for you. Um, and one of the things that I'll say too, and I think this is kind of key, is don't let somebody discourage you. You know, let be open and listen. But when I started writing my series, actually my first book, which was not in the series, I have four published works now. And when I first started writing, I wanted to write with a music business Nashville connection, and the woman who became my editor and dear friend and mentor said to me, as I'm a sprout of a writer, she said, you're just not going to sell a Nashville-based music industry novel. It's just not something anybody wants. Well, I kept writing what I wrote, and it still had Nashville and music in it, and God knew the timing, and it worked out that Nashville became one of the hottest cities in the world and it became the it kind of thing then and it was just me doing what I had always wanted to do so don't be discouraged when somebody says oh we don't buy books on baseball stars <laughs> or something you know it, it you've got to do what you want to do you know I you, you've been around some of the biggest names in the music business and you can testify to how many massive stars were passed over by so many record companies. I mean, I remember the story of uh, Randy Travis down there on Division Street washing dishes kind of thing. And and he couldn't get arrested. At, Vince Gill couldn't get arrested at places, that kind of thing. You know, it was just, there were so many stars that Elvis, it, it, all the way through, that, that were passed over. People said, no, that'll never work. That'll never work. So you're absolutely right. Do not listen to naysayers. Listen to your heart. Write what you love. And if it's successful, great. Otherwise, you've still written a book and you've done a great job with it. And that's important to remember for us as people and particularly us as caregivers. I think this is where I, I, I really push hard for myself and my fellow caregivers. Just do it. Let God worry about the results. But you be faithful to do and be a good steward of the creativity that he's given you. And I know that we're talking about writing right now, but it applies to so many other areas. And, and it's not just writing. It's you expressing your voice. And some of us will have a voice on the page. Some of us will have a voice, you know, singing, speaking, whatever, but all of us have a voice to use at some point. Kathy, we're going to take a quick break. I want to come back. You got a couple more things I want to ask you. We're talking with Kathy Harris. She is a wonderful author, mentor, friend, agent, music business executive, and caregiver divinedetours.com if you want to see your website. This is Peter Rose, and we're going to be right back.
Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me. But over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies, and with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit StandingWithHope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's StandingWithHope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. Welcome to Apologetics with Carl Kirby. Skeptics have criticized the Bible for years, claiming that the writers borrowed from pagan myths and legends and then adapted it to fit Jewish or Christian customs. But archaeological records show the biblical history to be trustworthy, leaving the skeptics embarrassed when their claims are proven untrue. One example is the Hittite Empire. The Old Testament refers to the Hittites, a Canaanite ethnic group, numerous times. Scholars for years claimed they had no extra biblical references to these people, making the Bible unreliable. But in the mid to late 1800s, archaeologists discovered not only numerous extra-biblical references to the Hittites, but the Hittite civilization itself. In fact, the Hittite civilization appears to have been massive, covering most of modern-day Turkey, Syria, and Lebanon. Lots of skeptics ate crow on that one. Does archaeology say anything about the Bible's reliability? That's for next time. For more information, go to hopetools.net and stay bold. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And we're talking with my friend Kathy Harris. KathyHarrisBooks.com. KathyHarrisBooks.com or DivineDetour.com. She's got all kinds, all roads lead to Kathy. And you can go out and find out her uh, heart and her books and her and her and her passion for helping other writers and for for coaching and and all the things she's got a, just an amazing resume of things she's done. She could tell stories after story after story of things in the music business of of stars that we have all followed for years. She's had a front row seat to these sort of things. But I want to spend the last part of our time, Kathy, just talking about you as a caregiver, what that's done for you in your life, what that's changed for you, your insights, the way you approach uh, work, the way you approach relationships with people, friends, business, all those kinds of things, and ultimately the, the way it affected you spiritually and what's happened in your life and your relationship with God through this journey. If you could just maybe spend a little time on that. I know I'm putting you on the spot. No, that's okay, because I, I think you mentioned the spiritual journey. I'll, I'll tackle that first. And God has taught me a lot through caregiving. And one of the things he's taught me is to take a day at a time. And many times just an hour at a time or a minute at a time. Because as I've worked my way through what is now 
10 real years of caregiving. And you and I've talked about this before. My husband had heart problems for a lot of our marriage. So there was a kind of a caregiving um, element to that. But um, 10 real years of caregiving, God has realized, and he, he gave me Bible verses and all kinds of things. Just don't worry about tomorrow. Do it an hour at a time or a day at a time. And that's been really important to me because we all look so far ahead and we worry and I do, but that's my spiritual takeaway really from caregiving. Um, It's a very emotional, as you know, job. And it is my number one job. You said, you know, you gave my little list of things I have on my agenda. Caregiving is first. My work is second. And, um, my books are third, but um, it's taught me priority, I suppose, in that sense. But it, what I started to say, it's been, it's in a very emotional job caregiving is, and I, that's why it translates so well for me to be a writer, because I take all those emotions that I'm feeling, those exaggerated emotions, and I maybe change them around. You don't even identify them, but I put them on the page. You said uh, earlier in the program that you you really love Southern gospel music. Is there a particular hymn or uh, a song that, that, that kind of sticks with you through a lot of these things that you like to just sing to yourself or when you hear it, you just kind of have to stop? Wow. Um, you know, my taste has changed and I listen to a lot of Christian contemporary now. Oh, I thought you were listening um, to rap but now on hip hop. Yeah, I do. I love rap <laughs> as long as it's Christian rap. <laughs> but um, the older I get, the, the cooler I am, Peter. Um, but I no, I I just heard, and I was going to share this with you. I just heard Joe Bonsall sent me a link to Kane doing Blessed Assurance at Oceanway Studio in Nashville, and that's an old hymn that is now done with a CCM kind of a, a style. And it was like the perfect thing. So spiritual. There's been such a revival, as you know, in coming on in the United States right now. And this was just like the perfect thing. So how about blessed I'm, assurance? I'm doing, That's I'm actually doing blessed assurance this Sunday at church. That's, I mean, I do the music out here and actually our pastor is going to be um, away this weekend. And so I'm actually filling in at the pulpit too. So I'm doing the music and the message and um and i'm calling it aggressive assurance is the title of my sermon because i talk about that a lot here on the program of how much we all desperately need aggressive assurance and how much god provides for us and uh you talk about ocean way i'm so old nashville that i remember when that was tony alamo's church the ocean way studio (laughs) i'm dating myself now (laughs) and um but that that is like one of the best studios like in the country maybe in the world and um, I, I, I look forward to hearing that because I, that hymn, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, the lady that wrote the lyrics, I mean, the, the music to that, um, I forget what it, I think it was Phoebe somebody. And uh, she went over to her friend, Fanny Crosby's house and said, Fanny, I got this tune. Do you have uh, something that you can, a lyric that you could do with this? And in 15 minutes, they had this done. Blessed Assurance. I mean, arguably one of the most well-known recorded songs of all time. And of course, Fanny Crosby was blind, and but she had this lyric, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And it's written in 9-8, so it's kind of a, a, a different kind of meter to play in. 
but it's um and then i think dwight moody got a hold of that and it went global and um so it just you know and she wrote and wrote and ten thousand something hymns i think she's credited with it, it, sometimes she had to do a pseudonym because her publisher she had they had so many of her hymns they they wanted to mix it up a little bit so they had a different name for her and so i think that um and when she died and i'm tying this in with some of the things we talked about today when she died she had um maybe two thousand dollars to her name she was living with some uh, a family that was helping care for her husband who she had married some years before was also blind and he died uh they he died after they had a little baby and the baby died and so she had all this heartache and at the end of her life she only had about two thousand dollars because she had given away everything to missions and to the ministries and she had made gone through a lot of money she had made through her royalties but you know, she just kept writing and she kept writing even through her heartache and look how our lives are affected. You right now, listening to this song, blessed assurance by somebody who refused to stop writing in the midst of heartache. So that's a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? It is. And what, what a neat thing we need to be assured of Jesus is mine. I mean, that's, 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 that's it right there. And I, you know, you reminded me of something too, that I told myself early on when I would only have time to write myself to sleep. And I, you know, I was busy with work and the caregiving and everything. I, I just said to myself, you know what, when I leave this world, I want to have used all of myself. I, I don't want to necessarily, you know, I mean, I, you want to be physically fit and do the best you can. You have to, to be a caregiver, but at the same time, I want to have used myself. I don't want to have reserved my energy. I want to just expel it and, 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 and use everything. And, um, well, I I've, I've already have that attitude. I've already determined I'm having to close casket at my funeral. Cause there ain't going to be anything left of me. <laughs> I'm probably just going to spontaneously combust and it just be poof. He's gone. You know, because they're at the rate I'm going, there just won't be anything left of me by then. But that's all right because I'm the same way. I mean, why? I, we don't need to save it for a rainy day because we don't know about a rainy day. We just know today, and that's that's the obviously the lesson that God impressed on your heart so much through this. This is today. This Gracie, you know, she told me just last night. She said, you know, she wakes up every morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And she's somebody who understands that her days have been tenuous. I mean, every day for her is gravy, is is a blessing, because she has faced death so many times. The good lesson to learn is that we have only this moment. I put a hymn on my CD, I Need the Every Hour. And I put that on there because nobody's written a, a hymn that says, I need the every minute. <laughs> so I got maybe I can write that one. <laughs> so, um, That's a good can't, one. <laughs> can you... um. <clears throat> Sorry, it's a it's I, I won't blame it on the pollen out where I live. Where you live, there's pollen. Everything is yellow where you live, everything is white still where we live. And uh, but I was down in Mississippi last week and I think I had a a, a secondhand pollen <laughs> moment here, but I I actually touched pollen for the first time in a while. So sorry about that for me coughing. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time here. I know that there are folks listening who want to write, they want to have their voice heard. And I know that you've been an encouragement to them. You have been to me for some years. And I want to leave you just final thoughts. There are a lot of people right now taking care of an aging parent like you are, trying to balance out a career. 
you've lost a husband, you've, you've gone through some heartache. Final thoughts you'd like to say to those caregivers? Just take a deep breath and take it a minute at a time and try to save at least 10 seconds of that minute for you. Um, also, anybody that wants to write me a note at Kathy at KathyHarrisBooks.com, I'll do my best to answer it. And um, I'll refer them to some writer tools that might be helpful for them. So happy to help. And Peter, I just want to say thank you for the encouragement you've been to me. I discovered you when I started the caregiving journey. I turned my radio on one day and there you were. And I just so appreciate everything that you've done to encourage me. Well, it, it is my pleasure. And you, you and I have had uh, the opportunity to have some great conversations about this and dig deep into these painful things that some of us have to face. But here we are, you know, we're not, and I think that's the, that's the goal we have is that you know, we're going to go through harsh things, but we don't have to be miserable. And one of the things I admire about you is you're not miserable. You are, you're pushing, you're claiming real estate every day to the best of your abilities and your abilities are pretty strong. So job well done. Thank you. Now people want Thank to find you. you. It's Kathy Harris books.com. I, I always go with Divine Detour, DivineDetour.com, but KathyHarrisBooks.com. And I would encourage you all, if you think you want to be a writer, if you think this is something that, that is a passion that you've just kind of been on the shelf for a while, go out to her website, take a look, look at her story, look at the things she's done. And then, like you said, she, she said you could write her. Well, take advantage of that. And please do. Kathy Harris. I really appreciate you being here with us today. We look forward to more conversations. I look forward to more writing. And I've got some writing projects that I'm going to talk with you about uh, a little later as well. So anyway, listen, this is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We've got to go. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.